Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's session of The Library is Open, a podcast where we discuss technology trends in the library world and tools that the librarians use every day. My name is Jesse Zarrow, and we have a returning guest with us today, Jessamine West. Hi, Jessamine. Hey, how's it going? Wonderful. Uh, Jessamine is a returning uh, guest. She was on episode five, where she talked about book points with Laurier. Right. Yeah, remember? I had forgotten a couple years ago now. It was. It was back in 2017, so it was quite a while. All right. Well, Jessamine, thanks for joining us. Uh, why don't we start with uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, my name's Jessamine West. I am a librarian. Uh, I call myself a community technologist because I'm not really affiliated with one particular library. I live in central Vermont. Uh, I'm in a town of 4,500 people, which is the biggest town in my county. It's one of the smallest counties and one of the smallest states in yeah. uh, the country. And I do a lot of different things for work stuff, kind of a combination of um, writing about technology topics for computers and libraries. Uh, mm -hmm. I do some research on digital divide topics and sort of how rural and urban digital divides differ, how people care about them, why they should care about them, why the digital divide isn't over, yada, yada, yada. And then uh, social justice kind of activist stuff, you know, directions I think we should be moving in as libraries, as librarians, as civic institutions, as a country, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm the Vermont chapter counselor for the American Library Association, which is awesome. a new position. I mean, I was a counselor, at the very beginning of this century and uh, kind of left ALA for good reasons and decided to try coming back, see what that was like, see if I could be helpful. And um, gosh, I'm trying to figure out, that's probably most of it. Uh, in pre-COVID times, I also uh, ran a drop-in time, which was basically kind of open door technology sessions for people in the community kind of co-sponsored by the public library, okay. uh, the local tech ed center and various funders. That's been a little on hold um, for COVID, but I've tried to pivot for lack of a better word to um, helping people over email uh, using presence tools to try to figure out ways to solve mm -hmm. problems. So my big thing is like using technology to help people solve problems usually with libraries and also informing people who do civic stuff. Seriously amazing. I run a blog called librarian.net. It's been around since 99. I don't update it very often, but I do update it. Awesome. We'll link to that in our uh, blog post. So you work with a lot of different librarians and the transition that we've had to make over the last few months has been a challenge. What do you think impresses you the most about the way librarians have adapted to our current situation? Well, I think it really drives home. I mean, I'm in one of the safest states in the country. And so my experience, I think, has been very atypical in that we probably overprepared in some ways. And yeah. in most cases, um, Vermont doesn't have any consortia. So, I mean, it's kind of got the Green Mountain Library Consortium, but that's kind of an informal consortium. It does not have any formal consortium, paid staff, that kind of thing. Okay. And so every library kind of got to make their own decision and their own timeline about how they would deal with what was coming down the pike. 
Yeah. Right. And um, coming down the pike is not just COVID, obviously, um, but it's dealing with the election. It's dealing with issues concerning the election. Um, it's dealing with, you know, other sort of instability issues affecting the world, like climate change and that kind of thing. And what's been really interesting to me and kind of cool is that libraries and particularly the librarians, library workers, everybody uh, who uh, works within them has tried to flex in directions that would benefit their communities because they were in a very specific position to understand their community's needs. So I yeah. think one of the things about COVID response generally is that there's been kind of this one size fits all, no one wear a mask, wait, sorry, everyone wear a mask, wait, you know, wash your hands all the time. Actually, washing your hands is not that big a deal. Ventilation is the thing. Okay. Like, like there have been a lot of top-down yeah. advice from big organizations, CDC, WHO, federal government. You know, they've been ridiculous. But, like, you know, science people can yeah. give us good advice. But then that's kind of – everybody has to kind of figure out how to implement and follow that same advice in their very unique situations. And I think libraries – have really understood many of their situations are simultaneously unique. Our community is a certain way. Our community is good, medium, bad with technology. Our community is very tightly knit. Our community is not very tightly knit, like lots of different ways of looking at it. And they've tried to find ways to adapt using the science that is real, that we believe in, Absolutely. and figuring out ways to provide services. And it's been really interesting because it's, it's, it's not one size fits all, but in most cases, and, and I'm kind of hand waving here because obviously there's some cases where it has not worked for various reasons, but in most cases, I feel like the community feels like the library is on their side, you yeah. know, and maybe you don't feel like other organizations are on your side. You know what I mean? Like I do think we've seen some librarians in, bigger systems where they're having just various crises of leadership that have had to put up with and deal with stuff that makes it very hard for them to serve their patrons appropriately. Yeah. But I also think the fact that we know about them means that they're trying to do the right thing and trying to find ways to provide these services. Absolutely. And I've kind of, I've loved watching like what libraries have been doing to adapt to like, how can they still get literature, books, items, DVDs, whatever it is, to the community and address those needs. So like Koha built the curbside plugin so they could track it. People could request it from the OPAC. They could call in, say they want something and do it. And I just love seeing like how everyone in the community has like come together and, and put their like ideas in it. Another one, they built in like a QR reader on the OPAC. So like having that contactless um, interaction, you could turn it around, the patron can scan it, then you can keep your six feet distance. Like, Well, and people at all levels are willing to be yeah. flexible, right? Yep. So like, you know, Koha could build the things, but yep. then they could be 
sort of given and made available to people. It, it isn't like, oh, you've got to go contactless. You've got to pay way too much money all of a sudden to buy a contactless, super expensive thing from the vendor that's always slightly working you over yep. opportunistically. I mean, one of the things that's actually surprised me the most about all this, which almost isn't a library thing, mm -hmm. is after we were all fighting with Macmillan at the beginning of 2020, yeah. like, ah, you jerks and your stupid embargo, and why are you like this? They rolled over really quickly. Really quickly. COVID happened in order to open the doors. And partly it was because they knew what the library feedback was already. Yep. Partly I think it's because Sargent picked the wrong fight. And as you might notice, he doesn't work for Macmillan anymore. Yep. Sorry, Sargent. Um, but also I think, you know, publishers and libraries most of the time are aware that they're on the same side, right? Yep. They want to bring content and information. We are huge customers publishers they would like to sell books we would like to buy them yep. let's find ways to work together to make this work for patrons um and then you had kind of weird edge casey stuff like you know the internet archives national emergency library which was its own thing yep. um but it's all people trying some stuff right and yep. and i kind of appreciate that i don't always i don't mean this in kind of a crappy way but like I don't always think of libraries as being super innovative, but I mean that in a positive way, you know, that they're not always like, oh, let's throw at the wall and see if it sticks. They're like, well, let's think about our patrons yeah. and what we have yep. and how to make it work for them instead of like innovation for innovation's sake or because we got a grant or because we're trying to find, you know, we're trying to follow venture capital money. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I think the end result, the end result is serving the patron better. And however you kind of need to do that. You see some libraries, they move their laptops outside on the table because they've got patrons yep. who can't, you know, use their own laptop from their car because they don't have a laptop, they don't have a car. Like, yeah. sucks, right? And if you yep. want to help those people, I mean, you saw Ferguson Public Library, they rolled their whole copy machine out into the lobby or into the vestibule. You know, it's that yeah. kind of thinking. It's goofy. Yeah. Who cares? Works. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's the most important, right? And patrons feel that. They know yeah. that that's somebody on their side, not somebody who's going to be hollering at them about come to work anyhow. I don't care if we don't have the right PPE or whatever the thing is. Yeah. Although, let's be honest, some libraries are doing that and it's not cool. Yeah. But in a general sense, the library staff are really trying to do the right thing as much as possible. Absolutely. I thought of another one, like how you were saying, like bringing the laptops out, bringing the printers out. I saw a lot of a lot of libraries have turned on Wi-Fi after hours or early, like all all night, so people can come into the parking lot if they don't have Wi-Fi at their house. They can come into the parking lot and still use like mobile devices. Like well, and we've seen a lot of funding agencies who have funding monies for various reasons. One of the things that is a very fundable covid era thing that libraries can do is expand their wi-fi enhance their yeah. wi-fi enhance contactless service options and it is a little i mean libraries are always making do you know doing more with less which is kind of a crappy thing to have to be doing because you know we're i feel like an essential service in so many ways but if you were looking for ways to provide better services to your patrons, grant and funding money was made available for things that can build 
out in your library things that will be useful in a post-COVID era as well. And I think expanding Wi-Fi, I think realizing that you can enhance your Wi-Fi and maybe leave it on 24-7 and the sky doesn't fall. Yeah. We kind of knew that, but it's we're we're trying to err on the side of more access yep. and a little less on the side of caution. I don't think caution's a bad thing. I, I don't, you know, want to begrudge people who believe that. Yeah. But I also do think we're like, it's an emergency. People need this access, how do we find a way to make it happen? And as we, you know, enter sort of Northern hemisphere winter, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of options people have uh, for keeping that going. You bring up a good point. David Lee King was on our podcast a couple months ago and he, at the time, they were trying something where they were taking like one of their bookmobiles out to a location where they knew students didn't have access being at home to Wi-Fi and had to get on to like for school, you know, getting on to like a website or something where they can check in with their teachers. And they took mobile hotspots out there so the students could still log in and figure things out without being able to get, you know, all the way to the library. So I thought that was pretty interesting, like taking the taking the hotspots to them to try and get them access. Well, and Topeka Shawnee is a really interesting area because yeah. it's got, you know, big rural areas, but also it's a you know, it's a metro, it's a metro area too, right? I yeah. mean, in, in the rural areas out here, which is just rural, rural, not little of both, you know, it's super challenging because, yeah. you know, I think through that idea and I'm like, I love it. You know, we've got the arts bus that does kind of arts programs for kids. Maybe that could be turned into a mobile hotspot thing. And then yeah. I'm like, where do you put it where it can reach more than four houses <laughs> yeah. and where it can get cell service? Like there, we've really, I worked with a team early in this, um, in the pandemic really tracking down like there's about 15 families in my supervisory union school supervisory union area that didn't have internet at home mm -hmm. and you know the project became how do you get those families on the internet and man most of the time the answer to how you get those families on the internet was find somebody who can dig a trench for cheap because the big problem wasn't getting service it was that they lived up the halfway up a mountain and there was service at the road yep you know and and you never think that it's going to come down to digging a trench but like trenching is expensive yep and it's a thing that isn't paid for the way a mobile hotspot might be paid for right you know but you can give that family a mobile hotspot and they're just not anywhere near a tower but fiber runs down their road yep and so at each family <laughs> had a slightly different issue yeah. and especially when kind of people lingering indoors is something you want to try and find other alternatives to it really is that kind of thinking and who who knew like because i was basically on all these calls like well at the point at which they get connected i can show up and teach people how to use the technology you know teach them how to get on yeah. google classroom etc but that wasn't what they needed. They needed someone with a shovel or a backhoe to first. And, and you don't really think about that, but the libraries know about it and they know who those families are. And so they could help be kind of central coordinating between the people that had the money and the, you know, the school, which was really trying to sort of get this thing going. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier and you were talking about some of the things that you do and helping 
people understand technology or providing support for them, you know, to, to figure out technology needs. A lot of people, not everyone, have mobile devices or computers they can access pretty much anything, internet. I guess we could take this in two directions. Pre-pandemic, how do you see that evolving how we help the population with like computer needs? And maybe I should take it to a second place, pandemic world. What have you been using to like help do support? You mentioned Google Classroom. What, what other tools have you used to help? I mean, Google Classroom would not have been my choice, but it is yeah. what the school is using. And yeah. so it is, you know, you just kind of hold your nose and walk forward with it, right? Because yeah. partly, you know, if you're smart with technology and like, I, I hope I don't sound like I'm just like, oh, I'm amazing with this. But like, I understand the technology landscape. Yeah. And, you know, one of the ways, one of the things that gets in people's way is fear right? Fear, anxiety, you know, computer's expensive. I'm going to break it. I don't know enough how to do it. Like they've just got their own uh, feelings about themselves, their ability to do things and technology and, and it. And so one of the ways you can really screw up an interaction is by showing up and being like, ah, Google Classroom, F that, you know what I mean? And like, even that, even though that is how I feel, that yeah. does not matter when we're trying to solve this family's problem, right? Because yeah. it's not, it's not my classroom, you know, yeah. it's, like, you know, when I taught, uh, <laughs> I taught for a while at the University of Hawaii's library school, and it was super fun. And they've got a um, content course, courseware um, called La Lima, which is built on top of something else. Um, but essentially, it's like fancy blackboard, and it's no good. And instead of just being like, rah, this sucks, and I'm a crank, and blah, 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 I was just like, well, we're mostly just going to use this website, and I'm going to email you guys, and here's a little video. And, like, it was very positive, and yeah. we didn't really pay attention to the fact that we weren't using the terrible software. And so yeah. part of – and coming back around to your question – part of the challenge about technology instruction is trying to find a balance between meeting the person where they are, yeah, which is whatever they know how to do, it is better to use the thing they're comfortable with mm -hmm. generally. And being like, your laptop is 14 years old. And the fact that you're having this problem doing this thing is a very normal result yeah. of that. So you can continue to have this problem with your 14-year-old laptop that you're comfortable with. Or I can talk you through getting a new laptop. But, like, you know, the problem is really real, especially with older users, but not exclusively. Yeah. But, like, you know, most people have a device or, you know, a, a tablet or a computer or whatever. Yeah. But very many, many fewer, much fewer, many fewer, much fewer, fewer of them um, could gracefully switch to another yeah. device if it's not just upgrading their phone at the store. Right. And you can't just upgrade your laptop at the store. Not really. Not really. And so figuring those things out and figuring out how to support someone through that while not owning their problem because that's something that can also happen with people who have kind of low tech self-esteem yeah. is they're just like, why don't you just do it? And you're like, well, 
you maybe can't afford me for that kind of work. Like I'll teach you how to use your thing, but at the point at which I'm going shopping for you, that's a job. Like, yeah. Eh. Um, but also trying to like, you know, be honest about the fact there's not an easy way to do that. Like we have a computer store in town. They're good guys, but they charge computer store money to fix your computer. Right. And then you've got kind of a mixed bag of people who can afford it, but don't want to and literally can't afford it. And do you deal with those two groups of people differently? Like, I'm not really sure. Right. I've got, I talk often about, I also do like a random, like a Twitter thing, tales from drop in time where I yeah. talk about the technology stuff I do. And I have a mailing list uh, newsletter that I do this. And like my landlady's 97. She lives in the front house. I live in the back house. Yeah. She has a MacBook Pro that's 17 inches that they don't make anymore. She doesn't see very well. The touchpad doesn't work right. And then trying to figure out what do you do for this person? Yeah. Right? She's not really necessarily flexible enough to move to something else. Yeah. But she's also either cheap or doesn't have money that we could fix this. Also, it's not my problem, but. I want her to be a happy, fulfilled. I mean, she uses email, like, yeah. And it's her serious connection to other people. Yeah. So a lot of this just goes into, I mean, I feel like the reason I have the niche that I have is because I can speak tech, but I can also talk to people pretty well. And I like both things and it's unusual. That takes me into my next question. What do you think are some of the most important skills to like cultivate this continued success for like librarians to be able to adapt to whatever environment we're in? Who knows how long we're going to be living in this pandemic era? Well, and I really do think part of it is we realized, especially at the beginning of this, yeah, that we're not um, always the most flexible people and we're not always like super excited about change i mean and i count myself among those people because you know part of what you do is you find something that works and you kind of stick with it yeah. because we're enduring institutions by and large at a library and so it's good to be flexible somewhat but it's also good you know to enforce boundaries and have rules and and etc and so part of this is learning to figure out what's going to work for now and not having to put a solution in place that's going to last for six months or a year. Um, I think that's really challenging for a lot of people, you know, thinking about how to retool your interior spaces, let's say. Like in Vermont, many of our libraries are open to the public in limited fashion, you yeah. know, that there's either limited browsing hours, um, there's usually a hard limit on how many people can come in the building, masks, sanitizers, take your temperature, all the stuff, and realizing that that's, gonna, that's okay for now. Yeah. And then if things change, we need to be able to sit down, think of a new plan, find a way to make it work, notify our community, deal with the pushback from our community, because there's always pushback. Like, Everybody doesn't love things being different. And I, I think part of the thing, sometimes it's a problem with um, libraries. And again, this can also be my own problem is, you know, you're like, okay, we're going to do it this way now. And someone's like, I don't like that way. And you're like, 
okay, we're going to do it this way, but with a carve out so that you're not unhappy. That like you, you try to make everybody happy instead of understanding that the bulk of what we do is to try to serve everybody. Yeah. But that doesn't mean everybody's going to be happy with every decision. Yeah. And that's tricky. I think we're good at it with stuff like book challenges. Yep. Like you don't like to like Captain Underpants, but it's staying on the shelf. Right. But <laughs> is, is that different when you're dealing with patrons that are difficult for other patrons to interact with and what does it depend based on what difficult means yeah and so that kind of flexibility a certain amount of empathy but without getting super wrapped up in stuff and part of it also has to be like taking the counsel of your peers figuring out what's useful and that applies to you in your situation and having it also be okay if it doesn't all apply to you. Like, you know, we saw the realm um, uh, results from, you know, OCLC and uh, those folks did all that kind of like, how long does COVID live on a plastic book stacked on top of another plastic book? And there have been some critiques of, that science it's not peer-reviewed for one pretty basic thing and so you've got libraries that are quarantining books for a week maybe fomites aren't the thing and i don't mean to be one of those kind of like you know this is the hill i'm going to die on i i think it's kind of an open question but there are a lot of people yelling at each other on you know social media and, and various other places about how to do this and not do it feeling like it's a life and death issue and i'm not saying it's not yeah. Um, but trying to be able to like find find your own moral compass, your own personal center, and moving on being okay with it, right? Yeah. I, I right. think there's a lot of people who live in a state of unease, not because they're in a problematic situation with regards to their boss, which is a totally different thing, right. but just that they just don't feel comfortable and confident with their own positions. Yeah. And I think that's a really hard, um, a really hard place to be in. And I do think it's a, it's a thing that with technology can sometimes be challenging as well. Um, you know, you want to, confidently assert something for somebody at the same time if your solution doesn't work for them you got to find a way to you know one of the things that's been the biggest deal in the COVID era is it used to be someone would be like I got a tech problem and you'd be like okay here are some resources and let's try the thing and good luck but really nowadays the tech problem is a little more like I need to complete a task technologically that I didn't need to complete before. Like, you know, trying to get someone on a zoom isn't just explaining to them how zoom works. Their problem isn't solved until they have made that connection. Yeah. And that's super challenging. Like one of the things I did early on in COVID times was just zoom practice. Oh yeah. Because people had a family thing they wanted to go to. Yeah. And then zoom changes things and makes passwords mandatory. And now you have to train them all over again on how to. And you also have to, I mean, and I can see, you know, you smiling when you say this, but like, you also have to be like, this is sort of part of how the world works Yeah. and you don't have to like it, but it is true. And I understand if you've got feelings about it 
and you know, this is kind of a thing I brought over from the before times, but like, I'm really like, I can't actually help you with your emotional concerns about this. And I feel like a jerk, but I, it's really not my strong suit. Like somebody else is good at listening to you complain about how you liked it the way it was before. I'm here to be like, well, let me compassionately help you use it the way it is now. I think it's frustrating that things change. I guess that's the end of that conversation. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> but it, it's hard. Like, <laughs> I, I don't mean to imply that it is not hard. It's I know. just. I'm high five. And if Tom <laughs> out there, I'm trying to send high fives across the Zoom. <laughs> but I think libraries that are better at that being like, you know, kind of mirroring, but also being like, how are we going to solve your problem? And right. if your problem's just, I don't feel good and I need to sort of talk about it, maybe the library's the place for that. Maybe the library's not the place for that. And maybe that's where you point people to other resources to help them with a different set of issues. Yeah. And librarians have always been that starting place. Whether you don't know if it's the first place to go or not, they're a trusted source for you to go there and say, I need help. Maybe we're not the first place to start, but we'll sure as heck give you another resource to find that. <laughs> well, and the reference interview is yeah. really part of, you know, a kind of an intake process that a lot of other places you might go to don't participate in. I mean, obviously, you know, mental health facilities will and do, right. Right. Um, you know, social work does. But like, you know, the DMV doesn't or like the town hall doesn't or you're trying to figure out how to vote. But like your question's complicated. How do we, you know, how do we parse what you need from what you were saying when you may not even know what it is that you need? And that's my favorite part, honestly, of librarianship in general, having conversations with people, trying to help them solve their problems. And then if I'm being perfectly honest, moving them along so that I can help somebody else, you know, because everyone can't be your special person, but hopefully they feel like they've got a person in you that is available for some fractional amount of time that yeah. they need to, you know, have their stuff helped with. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have two last questions. Great. What are you reading or listening to? Well, I am reading what is the name of this book? Hold on one sec. It's right next door. Okay. It's got like some stupid name and I can never remember it. And so, <laughs> and, and if I tell you that, like what it's about, it's impossible to find. So I'm reading this book called A Place for Everything. Okay. It is um, a history of alphabetical order. Oh. Super nerdy. Yeah. Um, one of those things where like, I don't know how this happens to me. I, I explain this to people and I'm like, some publisher emailed me and asked if I would like to read it. And I said, yes. And so they sent it to me. So now I'm reading it and it's really good. Very dense. Yeah. But it is literally talking about how people didn't used to alphabetize. Uh -huh. How did that change? Why did that change? People used to like organize things in arcs according to like religious reasons. Yeah. Or you know, other like head to toe, if it was like a medical book, you know, and how did, how did alphabetical order come in? What alphabet 
people just used to do first letter alphabetical order. So everything that started with A was in the first chapter, but not in any order after that. Like, yeah. oh, it makes my brain hurt. And like slowly we got more letters in the alphabet. Like, so you get second letter alphabetization for a while. And then, so it's actually, it's, it's a little slow because it's like so super well-researched. The woman is like a serious historian and it shows. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of kind of cool libraries in there and like cool old books. And it's probably yeah. even better if you're a classicist than I am. Um, but like that's super interesting. And then at night I'm reading and this. I just have to look for something on my computer instead of. I'm reading like sort of a cargo spacer. I think it's written by da, 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 da. Ancestral Night by Elizabeth Bear. Um, so like at night I read yeah. stories and during the day I read nonfiction. And yeah. so it's a, you know, random cargo spacer with a ambisexual female protagonist and she gets into various troubles and whatever. It's great. It's very sort of distracting and uh, doesn't really hit on the real world that much and fairly good. And like, as far as what I'm listening to, it's like the QI podcast, which is all trivia by mm -hmm. friendly British people who don't live in this country. Yeah. Awesome. So it's like QI.com is uh QI is like a quiz show in the UK. Okay. It's kind of like a TV format. We don't really have in America, like game shows are not quiz shows. Yeah. And so the people who do the research for that show also have a podcast where there's like four of them and they each talk about um, the best fact they found that week. But then there's just a lot of witty banter and it's hilarious. And um, like music wise, I have like this one um, YouTube live stream 24 seven lo-fi beats to study to like me and my boyfriend call it the the cozy raccoon music because there's like a little like there's a little video and it's like a little raccoon sitting yeah. in bed messing around on their laptop drinking coffee the light goes down it eventually goes to bed there's like an album on the turntable in the little <laughs> raccoon's room and like it's just, just kind of nice down tempo music but when yeah. i'm doing work it's i can't listen to things with lyrics i don't really yeah. listen for content and so i just like to have kind of a soundtrack yeah in, in the back but you know i mostly listen to podcasts when i go places and yeah not really going anywhere so do you not a lot of that saving them up for later yeah do you listen and listen when you walk or no not usually because usually yeah. if i'm walking it's because i'm out with a friend okay and so we're just you know through our masks talking yeah. about what's going on because that's how we get together around here yeah. right like yeah yeah we don't hang out indoors like vermonters not that other people aren't but like vermonters are for the most part around here pretty serious i mean my my social group yeah about restrictions and so we sit on each other's porches and we go for walks we talk about how we feel and yeah. uh you know then we do it again next week and uh that's great so i don't usually listen to stuff just because i'm kind of out walking out 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 in the world forest bathing i think the kids today say <laughs> i never heard that one
Oh, are you serious? I'm serious. It's like just kind of a way to get your chi kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Forest bathing. I call it walking in the woods, but I'm old, so. Yeah. Well, Jessamine, this has been a real pleasure speaking with you. Always good to chit-chat, tell you what's up, see yeah. what you guys are up to. Yeah. I'm going to go bug my library and see if they have the curbside plug-in, because I know we're a Koha library, and I hope we do. Yeah, I do too. All right. Well, stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Likewise. Goodbye. Bye.